Hoody ho! Hey guys, welcome to episode 68. Uh, this is another good one. Maybe a bad one. No, it's a good one. As they all are. It's a good one. They're all good. Alright, some of them. A little bit. One. A few of them. I don't know. Some of them are good. Uh, I'm in a weird mood, so just... As I always am, I know everyone rolling their eyes right now, like, really? When are you not? Um, I gotta get through the day, guys. I gotta do something weird. Um, but yeah, just enough of me. Um, welcome our next guest. Alright, guys, so we're here with another one. Um, like clockwork. Uh, so I found another great guest, as I tend to do the one thing I actually give myself credit for. And uh, so I love finding people all over the world, not just the United States, because, you know, it, it's fun to hear uh, how they're treated and, and what their stories are, because everyone has so much preconceived notions of what other people go through or people that just ignore what other people go through. Uh, and this one, this man is all the way from Ireland. Uh, so you want to tell us your your name and just like a little about it yourself? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, hello, TJ. Um, thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Um, of course. My name is Michael Holden. Um, I, uh, as you say, live uh, in Northern Ireland, and um, I am married with two teenage children, and. Um, I live with a neurological disorder and um, use a wheelchair full-time. Um, it is an acquired disability. I was diagnosed with this condition in 2010 and um, transitioned to using a wheelchair over a period of about 18 months. Um, and, um, of course, once, once I was using my wheelchair full-time, um, life changed um, dramatically because there were so many things that became inaccessible uh, to me um, that I uh, thought that it was time to do something about it. Um, so uh, I, I said about seeing what the challenges, identifying the biggest challenges for me and um, seeing how I could go about fixing them, and I suppose it was that that uh, drew us together um, and started our conversation prior to doing this podcast. Right. Um, so, how old were you when this happened? When it first started, um, I or were you born with it? I was. No, no, no. I was thirty-eight years old. Thirty-eight. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Obviously, tell us like the beginning of, of, you know, whatever side effects and symptoms you started to have before you got a diagnosis. Oh, I discovered um, a weakness in uh, my right leg. And I also noticed that I seemed to be losing the grip in my hand. Periodically, it wasn't a continuous or a constant um, issue. But it began to get um, slowly progressive. So I went to see my doctor, um, and 
they referred me to a neurologist who diagnosed my neurological, well, there were tests over a period of three months and then he diagnosed my neurological disorder and um, told me that it would get progressively worse. Um, and uh, that is what uh, that is what happened at that time. Um, my wife was still a homemaker. She she uh, was bringing up our, our children. Then one who was uh, at elementary school and the other one who um, was still at home. Um, and uh, our youngest son Noah had also recently been diagnosed with autism. So it was kind of a whirlwind year um, and uh, we were going through uh, uh, intervention training for autism and with my diagnosis my wife kind of decided that she wanted to be able not just to support Noah but to support other people so she did some training in autism and then went to special education needs and works now in a local elementary school um, and uh, as I say I, I had a small engineering business at the time and um, continued working um, made adaptions that worked to suit my own needs um, and then uh, in 2017 decided to set up another social enterprise um, specifically to help other people with disabilities um, face a really particular challenge that I was facing um, when going out with my wife and children as a family to enjoy local activities. Um, and then in 2019, I sold my engineering business and full time on um, developing uh, a disability side of my operation. Okay, well. Um... So what were some of the, uh, well, first, what was your initial uh, feelings and when you were diagnosed and told what you have, um, like, what were, where were you mentally at that point? Because you were obviously old enough to know, you know, who you are and, and what you want in life, and, you know, you were already heading in a direction, you have a family, and, um, and then all of a sudden, yeah. your health started to go, and now you get this diagnosis that tells you tells you what it is. Um, so, so where where do you yeah where are you at mentally at that point? In complete denial. Um, you know, I just wouldn't accept the diagnosis. I was completely in the state where this was not happening to me. Um, I still had plans for the future. I had children, their future, my wife, um, and I simply refused. Um, people were telling me that I needed to start thinking about making adaptations to my lifestyle, to my home, to support me um, as my um, illness progressed. 
And I think for a full six months, I just spoke to her and said, no, 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 I'm not accepting this. Uh, it's not going to happen. I refuse to let it happen. Uh, but of course, life isn't like that. So after about six months, I eventually began to accept. Um, I was told uh, at the time that I had what we here know as motor neuron disease. I think in the States, it's called ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Right, right, right. Um, which, of course, everybody knows is devastating. So I, you know, would have panic attacks about my children's future and would I be there and how long would I be there. Um, and then, gosh, in 2018, um, there was a complete sea change in my life. Um, believe it or not, my physician, my neurologist, um, was suspended from practicing medicine and I was called for review um, and was told that he had got my diagnosis wrong and I'd been treating, treated and taking all this medication for a disease that I didn't have and it was something completely different. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so that was even more um life changing i had to i needed um, psychotherapy just to deal with everything that i had been told um and now i'm about to begin after all this time um of more tests because of covid and so everything stopped and i'm coming through the other side and going through a, a course of rehabilitation where they feel that they can get some of my mobility back. So that is quite an amazing journey um, that is to come and a completely unbelievable story to have to deal with and talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> that's the thing. You know, if it wasn't something you were born with, you know, it's unfortunate because there's a lot of great doctors and nurses out there, but there's a lot of times where the doctors don't always know what they're doing. Um, and sometimes they're the one that caused the problem. And obviously, in this case, that's not it. They just mistreated you uh, or misdiagnosed you uh, and mistreated you. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You know, it it sucks because especially you know you're you said you were 38 and so you're you're an adult you you know you have your family and you're kind of all of a sudden you're starting to feel pains in your body and and things are kind of withering and you don't really know like in my case and anytime something starts to go or something starts to hurt I just start looking things up and go oh what do I have and um. You know, and then, um, and, you know, in my case, most of the time, it's it's absolutely nothing. But in this case, you know, you actually have a a real threat and something you actually have to take care of. Um, what is your exact mobility at this current time? Well, I still use a wheelchair uh, all day, every day, and none of the rehabilitation has started. They have been more concerned with the medication I was taking and monitoring the effects that that was having on my body for taking 
the medication for um it would have been um ten years because when my doctor when my physician was suspended, another one took over and they could not really agree whether my physician was my original physician was correct in his diagnosis or not. So it actually took them until October 2020 to agree that he wasn't correct. And it was only at that point they decided to stop the medication. So now they're monitoring to see what effect that has had on my uh, body, particularly uh, apparently my liver function because the medication can be quite devastating to one's uh, liver uh, functionality. But at the moment, there doesn't appear to be any lasting damage, which in That's great, and I just hope to maintain that outcome. Um, how much mobility do they think they can, you know, retrieve back for you? Like, how much do they feel like they can, like, is there a possibility you can walk again? Um, not unaided. And in there lies a real dilemma for me because, you know, when you, when you use a wheelchair, you get used to that level of mobility. And yes, there are restrictions, but I can go from A to B as quick as anybody that can walk if it's flat surface. Right, right. Um, and, you know, if they want to give me the ability to walk with a rollator or with um, a frame or, you know, or some other kind of mechanical device, and it takes me four or five times as long to go the same distance, part of me just says, I don't, <laughs> I don't want that in my life. I want to be able to go from A to B the same speed as I can go from A to B now. Right, right. And then if I can use a frame to go up some steps, that's great. But then what do I do with the wheelchair that's left at the bottom of the step? So there's all kinds of conundrums that I'm having to face with bringing new challenges. Um, But they've told me that, you know, the the rehabilitation is not going to begin for another two years. So um, at the moment, nothing is going to change imminently. Right. so I know it sounds crazy, everybody, it, 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 it's like, um, you know, people have this positive outlook and everybody's always calling uh, the, the, the future uh, ultra-positive, ultra-positive. And I keep telling them, you know, there is more to think about than what you are considering. And sometimes I find that positivity being very toxic because they're pushing me in a way that they want to go and not necessarily listening to my concerns and my right. wants for the future. Right. Well, another thing is that, you know, even if they could get some mobility in your legs, like they've been poorly used for so long. I mean, obviously you're in a wheelchair, so you don't use them really. And so the strength in your legs can't be very good because I'm, I remember even when I was in the hospital for four and a half months um, and I, you know, mine was, had nothing to do with my legs, but I was in a hospital bed for four and a half months. They had to reteach me how to walk again. And I had like the baby deer legs where I had to just kind of, you know, I had to, it was just complete therapy and, and, 
using a bike and training me. And, and that's, that's nowhere near as severe as yours, but even four and a half months sitting in a hospital, you know, you years with this, like it's not, it's not going to be very simple. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it's anything can help would be great for you, obviously. But, you know. Yeah, it's going to be a long process. But as I say, I don't want, I don't want them to take away my mobility by saying, right, no more wheelchair use, you know, walk, but walk at pace that just doesn't suit my lifestyle. Right. Um is there any, and I asked this people for for the ones that are uh, in other countries. Is, is there any? Do you feel? I mean, you know, maybe you don't know a whole lot what's going on over here, but you said you have been here. Um, is, is there any difference in how people with disabilities are treated there to here in the states? Like, do you get good treatment yeah. and like do people care, or you know, are you guys behind? Because I interviewed a woman from South Africa, and she said they're years behind the United States. There are many differences. Um, for instance, gosh, in the social world, um, sort of in, in the built environment, I find the USA to be far more accessible than uh, here. And that's largely thanks to the um, Americans with Disability Act. Um, right, right, yeah. The the in 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 where I live in Northern Ireland, our jurisdiction still is controlled by London in the United Kingdom. Although we're obviously very much connected to the Republic of Ireland, and that on this island is where I live and 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 work. And um, so when I cross the border into the Republic of Ireland, um, again life is different. Life is different there because accessibility. There, it, 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 in the Republic of Ireland, they only ratified the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities two years ago, um, and they're only really taking it, um, the built environment, um, seriously at this stage. But moving into social care, um, that is where it's very different because everything here for me, all treatments are free of charge. They're all covered by state. Wow. Um, and the government, because I um, have a disability, um, the government, um, uh, on top of my own earnings, it's not related to my income at all, they pay me um, a personal independence allowance every month, which is approximately $500. Um so that's like our social security. They, yeah, um, and you get that whether you work or do not work. Um, wow. You know, it's not means tested. The government paid um, largely for the adaptation in my home. Um, as I said, we you know we already had a family. Our son had autism. Um, still, obviously, has autism. Um, so they built an extension onto our home and put an elevator into it so that I could still, my wife didn't have to spend her time running between children upstairs and me living in a room downstairs. So our house is 
still to store at home uh, with an elevator so I can go downstairs. Um, again, that was paid for by the government. And every every three years, the government gives me a wheelchair accessible vehicle, fully funded. I don't have to pay insurance or taxation or anything for that. That's awesome. So in some and ways you're behind, also, in some ways you're ahead. Yes, that's what I'm saying. You know, it, it is it is a, a real um, jigsaw puzzle of how things are better here and how things are just not so good. Right. Um, and then uh, they also pay for um, personal assistance at home, but also pay for personal assistance for me to be able to continue working. So anything that, you know, any jobs that I can't do at work, the personal assistance is on, on, on my behalf, um, albeit under my direction, and the same at home. Um, anything that I need at home, um, I get allocated um, 34 personal assistant hours a, a week at home and 15 a week at work. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, well, that I mean, that you guys had the elevator put in. That was for your son, not for you, right? No, no, no. That was for me. Oh, okay. So that uh, you know, my living accommodation, my my sleeping, my bedroom, my wet room was all built upstairs, um, and um, our children's bedrooms were obviously upstairs. Right, um, right. So that was just so that I could continue to go. Up and down because uh, although my legs didn't function, I was still caring for my children. You know, my wife would go go out with her girlfriends or work colleagues, and I would be at home with the children. If they were sleeping at in bed at home, um, <clears throat> and I couldn't get to them, it would just be impossible. So that's what the elevator was. Gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. For. Um, was it? I mean, when you finally came to terms with having a disability, um. Was it a little easier to accept the fact that you had it due to the fact that you were taking care of your son for so long? Like, obviously, um, I, I don't know how functional your son is, um, but if, if he needs a lot of care, um, you know, you're, you're way more accepting and understanding of what he's going through. And now that you're going through something, you know, different, but in the same realm, um, just as a physical problem. Um, was it easier for you when you finally did come to terms with it? Was it easier for you to understand it and accept it a little more? Yeah. Not only was it easier, but I also became um, a big campaigner for disability rights here. Um, and I'm now the chairman of the Centre for Independent Living for Northern Ireland. Awesome. And... I really don't pull any punches when it comes to um, disability strategies being formed by government and fighting for disability rights um, in work, in especially in education. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, I I I never hold grudges, but if there's something wrong with a system, I make sure I let them know. You know, I don't hold back or pull any punches, I am very, very direct and extremely forceful. And I have to say that creates a lot of 
um, dislike, um, you know, people, particularly my son's school teachers, um, you know, at the very outset, I just said to them, if you upset me, you will know. And within two months of my son going to school, they upset me and I told them straight. And my wife says, you know, Michael, when they see you go into the room, they all wonder who your head is towards. But on the flip side, when they do something good, I am very gracious and I compliment them and I praise them. Um, but some people find it difficult to comprehend that all I want is equality, to right. be treated exactly the same way they would expect to be treated. And when they don't, I tell them so. I also, I like the... Um, laws that they're breaking or rules that they're breaking um and you know i've i've taken a good view of the statutory authorities of course right point um but they they seem to take that personally rather than you know making the necessary adaptions not just for me but for anybody with a right do you feel that there's been a difference since you have had to adapt to a wheelchair on how people treat you, you know, from before? Yeah. Yes. One of the downsides of, of, of acquiring a disability is that my wife and I lost an awful lot of friends. Um, places that we would have gone socially became inaccessible. Even visiting homes became inaccessible. And we quickly discovered that people stopped asking us to go out for an evening. Um, and then they became embarrassed that they'd been out and not asked us to stop talking to us. Um, which sounds ridiculous, but it's quite true. Um, so we ended up making new friends. And, um, you know, I would still see those older friends, and I, I bear no animosity towards them, and I try to engage them in conversation, but it's quite obvious that they feel uncomfortable, um, but that's for their own conscience, nothing that I have done. Yeah, see, I don't have any, like, memories, because I was four when, when my sight went, so I don't have any memories of, like, being whatever you want to call it, normal, able-bodied, or whatever you want to call it, but but it's like it is you do get treated totally different in your case yours is way more visible than mine um obviously with the wheelchair and um unless i had a cane or a dog or something that's the only way people are going to know but i don't have either one of those so um but yeah it, it's amazing how quick people are to judge and treat you differently like I, when i used to like when i was like 16 and i tried to date i would at first, I, I didn't really tell anybody I had a problem. I would just talk to them and see how they would treat me. And then once we kind of started hanging out, that's when I would go, oh, okay, this is it. And I would just see if it was any different. And it would be. Uh, but then I just re I realized I needed to just kind of own it. And if people like me, they like me. They don't, they don't. But, um, yeah, it is very frustrating, though, how people just kind of, you know, change their tune on you just off of one little thing. Like you really are the same person. It's just, <clears throat> you're in a wheelchair. Yeah. It's that really in a way, 
um, but that's just because. I think here, the trouble here as well, that children with disabilities are siphoned off into special schools. So they're hidden away from society. You know, other children in school don't get to grow up with them and learn how to interact with them. And that's the part of their education that they're missing out of, which goes completely with them into adulthood. So when they come across somebody with a disability, yeah, it seems as well. There's a lot of there's a lot of political correctness, and sometimes they're afraid almost of engaging in conversation in case they say something that yeah. they think will offend offend somebody. It, it, from what I perceive, it seems like you guys have like very good care, but it's more like. I mean, I'm sure it's known, but it's more like behind the scenes. It's like, okay, here, here's all the things you need. But when like the outward perception of people with disabilities is kind of the, uh, how do I say it? Like, that's how people are looking at it differently. Like people don't really perceive people with disabilities the way they should. Um, The government kind of takes care of them. But like I said, the outward, the the overall perception of, of people with disabilities in your country is kind of poor. And uh, because yeah, it's I mean, getting better. I think I think the trouble is that the social, the, the caring side of, of of what happens here is all based around the medical model, and okay. I think they are trying to change it, but they're not making a really good job of that. Right. Well, and someone like you, like you didn't, you know, you did, you weren't born, or you didn't grow up with a disability, so. There's really not much they could do with you. They can't put you in special classes and all that. Like you're already an adult. You're already fully functional. You can do whatever you want. It's just, you know, you need a couple little changes to your house and some of the things in your life. But overall, you're you're good to go. But, you know, the kids growing up with disabilities, they're the ones that probably have it the worst, at least in your country anyway. Yeah, and I find that, particularly with the younger, everybody that I work with now has disability. That's one of the ethoses of our business, that you know, to work here, you must have a disability, with the exception of the person. Um, they, um, at the moment, we don't have any person systems, um who have a disability. They're all able-bodied, fully functioning, whatever you want to say, but what I will say is that if my PA isn't around and somebody who is uh, fully mobile but might have a social disability, uh, I need some help. I can go to them and say, "Look, hi, I, you know, Luke, I need some help here. Can you give me a hand?" And he comes and does. So we help one another right. uh, in, a, in 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 a kind of you know that that way. So um, we're a bag of people with disabilities, but. Fun- function perfectly well together because we all respect one another's talent and respect what one another cannot do alone and we're there to support one another. Yeah, that's kind of the the goal. I brought this documentary up, the, the documentary called Crip Camp. Um, and it's a documentary where, you know, it shows this camp of all these people with different disabilities and they're you know, they're all happy because they found a place that it's like their salvation, their safe haven of, of where they can go and 
hang out and, and be around people with all different types of conditions, but they know they're always going to be accepted and, you know, all their caricatures come out and their personalities and they're having fun. And then at some point, you know, they leave the camp and they go back to their regular lives and so on. And then a few of them really decide to, you know, start protesting and start fighting for our rights. And it got bigger and bigger. And at some point, they, you know, that's how that act that you were talking about earlier came to be because they pushed for it. And then they didn't, you know, they, they stayed in these court, uh, these buildings where um, a lot of these juries and judges are, are keeping them from getting uh, what they need. And they're, to pass these bills, <clears throat> they just stayed there. And there's people that needed catheters and, they needed to, you know, be rolled over because of bed sores and, you know, they're they're out of their wheelchairs and they're all these people are just, you know, staying together and they're they're sacrificing their own health to um, to get a bill passed. Um, and that's why I'm kind of doing what I'm doing now, because I see stuff like that. And it's like there's no reason why we can't go back to that, because now we're nowhere near what that was. Um, and that was. 70s I believe and you know we we have to stick together because there's so many of us and we I keep saying we can we can really make a difference but we can't do it in just an individual little pockets no absolutely not I I I completely agree um and it pains me sometimes to see that younger people can can see the changes that are happening and they almost become comfortable with it but it, during the, the COVID pandemic things have rolled back so much um, that I think it's reinvigorated them to, to realise that they must keep pressure on to secure their own future and that the government won't um, roll back any of the legislation just to make life easier for business because they need to come out the the pandemic for their own business. Yeah, yeah, COVID has definitely changed some things here too. It's set some people back and it's unfortunate. I mean it's also made some more people it's also made some more disabled people, unfortunately. Um or you know or uh, it has. Yeah. Yeah. And of course here um our world our built world is not quite as open and spaced out as in the USA. So our sidewalks are quite narrow. And, you know, they're telling businesses here that they must serve their clients on the sidewalk. And they're becoming impossible. You know, people with disabilities are crashing into things that they're not expecting to be there. They were never there before COVID. And all of a sudden, there are dining tables outside cafes and restaurants and patio heaters and, you know, people using wheelchairs can't get in between the tables because they're, they've been set so close together. If you walk up to them, you can collect the chair, sit down and no problem. But, the, you know, it's just not navigable uh, by people with disabilities. So these are new challenges that post-COVID recovery is... Um, Right. Yeah. And those are the type of things that happen just about everywhere where you start to look like, you know, 
um, when people have thoughts of changing or, or, or making these changes, like with, you know, obviously COVID was something that hit the whole world and everybody's affected and so on, but there's never any thought on, well, how do we implement people with disabilities? And, and then when they do have thoughts of it, it's always people who don't have disabilities. So they make the right, they don't make the right implementations to doing it. Um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, okay, we'll do this because we know they need that. But it's like, but you don't, you just don't do it right. Um, and they, they never have no. us in mind. No, well, here um, we we call, we refer to that as co-production, and we just say if you're not going to involve us, there's just no point because you're just going to get involved, on. and you'll end up going back to the drawing board and having to spend more money just trying to justify. The government buy into that idea, so they do try to uh, involve us at this. Uh, in, 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 in what is phrased here, co-production. Yeah, just come closer to your mic a little bit so I can hear you a little more. Um, but yeah, no, it's, like I said, you get one or the other. Um, you know, like I said, that's why we have to keep pushing because, you know, as I've said many, 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 many times, there's 1.6 billion of us and... We can make some real change. Um, and there's a lot of people that, you know, can't because, you know, whatever, they're mentally, you know, whether they're autistic or some sort of special needs or whatever, and they can't fight. But we have to fight for them. Like, they're a part of what we are. And, and, you know, yes, we all are different. But if people are going to make us the wheelchair logo guy and they're going to put us in the same category, then why don't we actually fight for what we need and then we can differentiate in the end and, and show why we're, why we're different. Precisely, yeah. And that is that is the ultimate goal here for the Centre for Independent Living, that everybody must be included in the strategy. Right. And, and it's good, like, what you're doing because, um, you know, there's a lot of people who do get some sort of power or get to run a... a you know, a nonprofit or some sort of organization and they do have a condition. Um, but they seem to forget where they came from. Um, and, and, and they'll hire more so able bodies and they'll do things, uh, to benefit them to keep some sort of normalcy and, and they'll walk around or stroll around or however you, they live their lives like they're normal with those people and then kind of, you know, yeah, they'll, they'll, you know, a lot of these nonprofits are based around, you know, when it comes to people with disabilities, they're based around the people with disabilities. They use them as the, the, the logo and the front runner of like, here you go, guys. These are the people we need to uh, get some money and, and take care of them, at least here in the States. And then the reality of it is, is like all the people that have the highest paying jobs and all the people that are, uh, benefiting off of the company are people with able bodies and the people with disabilities don't see a lot of the benefits of what actually comes from that company. Um, and like in your case, you're actually a person you have, I mean, you can't forget where you came from. Um, obviously you're a very good guy and everything, but you know, it's, um, you're actually giving back and taking care of 
people um, maybe that they didn't do for you, but you're giving back, and that's amazing. But like I said, there's there's definitely some people that kind of they want to forget where they came from, and they want to make it harder on others anyway. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting what you say about that. There's a new disability strategy being done uh, with in collaboration with the government here. Oh yeah, and it is it is titled the disability strategy, but those representing the deaf community want it to be called the deaf and disabled strategy, and we're like, why do you want it to be called the deaf and disabled strategy? And the Institute for the Deaf uh, say, well, deaf people aren't disabled. Ah, <laughs> uh, one of those. And yeah, and I say, well. If you're not disabled, why are you interested in this strategy? Right. Oh, well, it, it, it affects us. It affects us. And I, well, yes, it affects all of us. So it's just a disability strategy. We can't say, you know, why can't we say disabled, uh, deaf, uh, and visually impaired disabled strategy or, or deaf wheelchair user disabled strategy? That's just a ridiculous notion to say that deaf people are... are are not disabled, but you want to be included in a disability strategy screen. It just—it's nonsensical. <clears throat> but those are the kinds of challenges that I think you were just talking about. That they just want to make things specifically right for the de- those who are living with deafness, and the rest of us can just be looked after in one in another pigeonhole. Right. Well, that's kind of what happened here. They—they, they, but in a way of with like. You know, we're we're in a time here in the states where everything's politically correct and censorship is going crazy. People are getting fired for something they said thirty years ago, and so on and so on. And you know, they had some funerals for some words here that people don't like to say racially, and so on. And they were like, "Well, we're gonna no, we're no longer gonna say this word." And that sounds great, but then other people are gonna want their word. Uh, I, I equate that with this because then it's going to be like, well, then, yeah, the visually impaired or blind community is going to be like, well, then we want our name up there and we're this. And, you know, I, I've noticed that with the deaf community and certain communities, like that's our problem. We're so segregated. We don't want to be with each other. Like we're so trying to be away from all the other people. It's like, well, I'm not autistic and I'm not that like, yeah, you're not, but th- they're still a part of your family. Like they're still there. Like you can't deny them. And yes, you're deaf, but you you have a hearing impairment. Like that's a disability, regardless if you want to be with us. Because again, the problem is a lot of people look at the guys in the wheelchairs or, or in you know wherever, and they're drooling and then they're bobbing back up and you know up and down and and you know they're going to the bathroom on themselves and all these things, and no one wants to accept them and no one wants to say I'm like that guy or girl. But it's like yeah, just because you don't have the same functionality doesn't mean you're not like them. And you're going to always be seen like one of those people because every person with a disability has always been perceived as someone with special needs by at least one person in their life. So there's no reason to not, you have to accept them because no one else wants to. And we need to because yeah. like, again, we have to love them because they're, they're amazing people. It's just, they have a less fortunate life. They don't have as, you know, the brain capacity or whatever you want to call it is, is not there. That sucks. And we're fortunate enough, you know, you're in a wheelchair and I have my crappy eyes and I'm happy that I can walk and I'm sure you're happy you can see. 
But I'm also happy that I'm not that guy. But it doesn't mean I have to turn my back to him. It means we need to look out for him because he's the most vulnerable person we have. Well, my ethos is that if we make rights and accessibility for the people with the most complex needs, if it's accessible for them, it's accessible for everybody else. That is not as complex. Yeah, um, and that's just the, the 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 basic the basic premise of how I work. You know, if it's if we make it accessible, universally accessible for people with the most complex needs, it's accessible for everybody else. Yeah, you start somewhere and it trickles down, um, and you know, it, it, it. Like I said, there's so much we can do. Because of being so, there's so many of us. Um, and I think a lot of it, like the disabled community, we have so low self-esteem. And, you know, like the perception and everything that is said about us and, and the laws that are put in place that do not benefit us. And, and again, just the overall, you know, again, perception of what we are and what we can do. And, you know, every time we try to get a job, we're always perceived as people who our liabilities or we can't do this because we're looked at from eyes of a person who has a perfectly able body and they look at like, well, I'm in a, I have a vision problem or I have this problem. I can't get up on a ladder. I wouldn't be able to do it or I can't do this. I couldn't lift that. Or, you know, yeah, if I was in a wheelchair, I couldn't do that. It's like, yeah, that's your thought process, but that doesn't mean that's not our reality. We, we do a lot of things. There's so many limitations, so many hurdles that we have to jump, but we jump them just because you don't feel like you can, we can, but then there's that, you know, voice in the back of our head of all the people that told us that we can't do it. And so as a community, a lot of us don't want to speak up and don't want to say anything. And we want to stay in our homes and we want to just collect our whatever monthly fee we get from the government or wherever. And, you know, we don't want to come out of the house because we're so tired of being stared at and we're so tired of, people just treating us differently and we already feel different. Um, And that's why this part of, part of it, like a good part of what we go through is, is on us because not all of it, of course, but there's a huge part of it. Like we need, if we don't speak up, we can't expect any change. We're not going to get anything. We're we're not going to wait around for some able body to just go, okay, I'm now the president or I'm whatever of whatever country and, you know, I, I feel this is wrong. No, we, we have to do it. We can't keep waiting for someone to save us. Okay. It's just, you know, and that, that's why you and I are talking and, and why I do this and why you do what you do. And, you know, we just have to stick together. We have to support each other because there's, there's, too much of like what you were saying where it's like the deaf community wants to be their own thing and it's like but you're not yes you are your own community and you have your own way of communicating and that's fantastic but you're a part of us whether you want to want to be or not and we have to stop pushing away from that because again they don't want to because they don't look at the guy in the in the chair bobbing back and forth they don't look at that guy like oh i'm just like him i just my my ears are just don't work it doesn't matter you're like him 
Not in every way, but you're like him in, in, in the, the ways that matter and the way that people are going to perceive you. Because some people are going, there's a lot of people that are going to look at you like you have special needs because you can't talk properly or you can't hear. And so, yeah, and I think I think you know if we if we only challenge society to make life accessible for people with simpler needs, the value of those people who have the complex needs becomes less. You know, they they risk becoming institutionalized and put away in a home and hidden away from society that you know it, it, to me it's a regressive step and, and i certainly won't be letting it that happen on my watch yeah i mean i've seen so many of them mistreated by uh what do you call them uh caregivers and it's it's terrible we can't keep letting that happen not to say there's any there's there's no good caregivers are there are there are people that genuinely care and love and want to help. But there's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of people who are just doing a job and they realize it doesn't pay enough. So they're not going to give the effort of what a higher paying job would probably provide for them. Um, and so they just mistreat us. And we're always mistreated by every, you know, a lot of times we're here. It's the, <clears throat> it's the transportation services it's obviously the workplace it's school it's everything we get mistreated and there's a lot of people that are completely fine mentally and they get sent to special classes because of whatever their disability is and what people look at them as and go okay you belong over there um and, and like i said there's not enough people fighting for stuff like that like we the reality of it is our lives are hard regardless. You know, you're, you're in a wheelchair. So your life, you, you, you've made it work for you. Like, like you said, you can go as fast as you can as, as a person can walk. And, but that took a lot of time and mentally and physically. But your life is still hard. Steps is not your friend. So, you know, you, you have to constantly jump over hurdles every day whether you want to or not, and even if you're comfortable with it at this point, you're like, screw it, this is my life, I realize it. But that would be one thing. Like I said, your life is already hard no matter what. I'm sure you have physical pains and so on. That's your life. But it, the stuff, and, and this is just, I'm, I'm speaking for me, but I'm, I'm sure you're going to agree. The stuff that's the hardest is what life does for you, is the, the, all the hurdles that are put in front of you that aren't deserving and, and don't need to be there. You know, like you're fortunate enough that you you kind of had a very developed life before things kind of went to shit. But, you know, and you you made the best of it. But the reality is like a lot of us just don't have any of those things in front of us. And so when we have to go out in the workplace and we got to apply for a job, especially when the job market is crap. Uh, maybe not so right now because people don't want to go back to work because of all the stuff that's going on here. Um, but the job market's usually crappy and there's very little jobs that people even will take us in an interview. And it's like, all we want to do is work. We're going to bust our ass way harder than probably most of the workers you have here because we're more accepting and, and we're, we're definitely going to be more thankful that you gave us a job. 
and we get turned Absolutely. down all the time and we get treated like crap. And so, sorry, I know I'm ranting, but it, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's just these hurdles that are put in front of us are so unnecessary. It's like, let us just go to school. Let us work. Let us just catch the bus or, or whatever transportation we take or whatever thing in life we need to do to survive. Just let us do it how we do it and just don't put any more hurdles in our way. Because that's the stuff that makes our lives so much harder. You are absolutely right. And you've earned the right to advantage as well. But it is, you know, I couldn't disagree more. You know, I was saying that all of my staff have a disability and accept the personal assistance. And I can tell you that the work ethic and attendance level of all of my disabled colleagues is far better than those that are not disabled at all. Um, you know, sick days um, or the need to get out of work for one thing or another. Um, the difference is night and day. You could just show me some blind statistics of my staff and I would just be able to go down the list and say, disabled, disabled, he's not disabled, disabled, yeah, yeah, no, they're definitely not disabled. You know, it's just, you are so right. People that are given the opportunity and, and have the disability are so thankful that they do not waste that opportunity. They grab it with both hands. And employers need to be quick to learn. Yeah. And and again, like, I, I don't know, again, because I don't know what goes through their brain entirely. You can only kind of imagine. Um, but it's like, I think they feel like they have to spend a whole lot of money and, and, and a whole lot of time to do certain things. Like, no, I'll tell you what I need. I have a vision problem. I may need some sort of device that makes me see a little better or whatever it is. Or, you know, give me something that has large print or something, whatever it is. And for each person is different, and it's like, just let me have that, and we'll go from there. I might have a lot of questions in the early beginning, and once I adapt, just like everything in my life, is, is I've figured out a way to adapt to it. Give me my time, let me figure it out, and you're going to have a dedicated employee. There's, there's, that's all you got. And, and, you know, you allow me to have that freedom, and you allow me to just be me, like, you're going to get that in the work ethic. You know, you're going to get the appreciation yeah. in the work ethic. You're going to, you're going to feel how I'm, I'm just so grateful that I have a job and that you allowed me to work for you and you're allowing me to just be myself. Yeah. I, you know, the guy that looks after our social media, Graham, that he is blind and he uses, um, green leaders, um, everything that we need to provide him to be able to do his work and you know Graham's even working when he's not supposed to be <laughs> he is so dedicated and you know he's been working with us for three years and it, it, his his passion and dedication has n never waned you know it, it's as strong today as it was the first day he started yeah um, and, and that's just one example well, and you also, like, again, you have this place now where it's like a safe haven. They all can come, and they know they're not going to be judged. And they're allowed to work. They're allowed to do what they need to do and make a difference. And no matter what their condition is, like I said, I mean, you, you could judge them, but then that would be silly because you have an obvious thing they can judge right back. Um, but 
you know, they know that they can come to a place and not feel judged where as soon as they leave that building, it's like, okay, life is different. But for the eight hours or however long they're there, it's like, this is, in some ways, it's probably safer than home to them or, or just whatever, the grocery store or wherever they go. Because it's like, I feel, yeah. I feel comfortable here. Yeah, we are a little community. The camaraderie between us is absolutely fantastic. And we go out socially, not obviously not recently, but we go out socially as well just to enjoy one another's company. And um, we have an absolute blast. And um, we always go somewhere that, you know, might be accessible for a wheelchair user, but maybe the menu's not accessible for Graham because he can't read it. So we just read it out to him. And, right. um you know, that, that we, we, we will go places maybe that are not quite so noisy for the, 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 my colleagues that uh, have social disabilities. Um, but, you know, we, 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 we all have a great time. And I just wish, well, uh, yeah, I just wish, uh, you know, other people could, could, there was a fly on the wall following us around so that other people could, could just see how like there we are you know no difference but that's kind of like what you guys are doing that's basically how people should be overall forget disabilities and non-disability forget all that that's that's how people should be in general like when something bad happens and i heard somebody go on a rant the other day about you know if a kid goes missing there's no reason why we shouldn't find them within hours because the whole neighborhood should just turn just open their houses and everyone should just come together and go where is this child oh it's not in my house Let's all find them together. You know, you got you got a uh, you got a town full of a thousand people, and there's one person missing. It's like okay, it's that person. Like we should just come together and help each other. And it's like, look, you got a blind guy. His one, you know, downfall is he can't see. So the people around him who have other problems are taking the time to go. Oh, we'll help you because you can't see. And there you go. What do you need? What are you hungry for? And that's like, that's, that's a community. That's how people work together. And that's how you benefit from each other and you learn from each other. And that's how you make changes and differences. And that's how you make life easier and better for everyone. Yeah. And I think that's what is making us year on year as a business steadily successful. Yeah, of course. Um, But it's funny. I, you know, for people that meet me the first time and don't know that I, have an acquired disability, I get asked some of the most amusing questions. You know, for instance, I could be, uh, you know, in the company of other guys and go get talking to me and one of them will say, do you mind if I ask you a question? And I no, you ask a question. And, oh, I don't want to offend you. And look, you're not going to offend me. Ask away. And they'll nod towards my groin and say, how did you have children? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Yeah, and and I and I just laugh like the well freaking off. I have children before I use the wheelchair. What if the two legs on the either side that don't work, the, the middle section works just fine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, there's that and people adopt and you know, there's so many other factors that go into it, but yeah, it's fun. I love when people ask that. Like when I was when I was younger, um, 
I used to wear my hat over my eyes because the sensitivity was so strong to the light and I'd walk into stuff and whatever. And there were so many people would come up and just ask my mom or me, like, does he sleep with his hat on? It's like, no, because it's dark. <laughs> it's just, it's frustrating, but it's, you know, I guess once you become more of an adult and you get older, it's annoying, but it's also like you can have fun with it. You got to learn how to laugh at yourself. Absolutely, yeah. It is. And you know, uh, one thing that never ever worries me, I know other people get really antsy about this, but if somebody is talking to me and I can tell that there's genuinely no offence intended and they use a word that may be appropriate, I just let that float right over me and continue the conversation as if nothing has ever happened. Um, but I know some of my peers would hear it, somebody use a particular word and they would go crazy. You know, they lose the plot so like say, you know, that guy's never gonna to want to talk to you again. He's gonna be so afraid of saying something. What 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 was the point of that? Yeah, yeah, it's fun to run some people off, just kinda like they make it like you're a freak show, it's like, well, you don't even know the half of it. You just act a little ridiculous and then they're just like, Oh boy, this guy I can't I don't I don't know about this one. It's like <laughs> it's like, yeah, you, you perceive me as one thing, but I'm a little crazier than you think. The eyes is really the is the least of our of our problems here. Um but yeah, you gotta you gotta have fun. If you don't like you know, this is that's I mean, look, I'll be honest, it comes from pain and, and you know, it's it there's some sadness and stuff I and frustrations that I deal with, but it helps me get through the day. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, there are other opportunities that having a disability has brought me. Um, I once wrote a, a, an article about my transition from uh, from walking to using a wheelchair. And uh, believe it or not, a charity that is headed by the King of Jordan read what I did and they taught me to fly. Uh, so I now have a pilot's license. Oh, wow. Um, which is something that would not have happened if I wasn't using a wheelchair. No, granted, I learned to fly an especially adapted aeroplane. And, you know, I need a specially adapted piece of equipment to go into the aeroplane in order for me to fly it. But, um, you know, that happened. And the Crown Prince of Jordan actually came to give me my certificate um, after I qualified, which was That's awesome. quite amazing. Um, and I was given an award by um, the Queen of England for my work in the disability field, which was actually presented to me by Prince William um, wow. in Buckingham Palace. Um, so, yeah, there's been some upsides of of, of having a disability that other regular people will never get the chance to. Yeah. But that, I mean, it starts by putting yourself out there. Like you have to know people are going to like, we, we, you know, as we were talking about earlier that, you know, we hate to be looked at and, and shunned upon and, and, you know, treated differently, but the only way you're going to get yourself out there is well, putting yourself out there and, and people, more people are going to look at you and more people are going to judge you and stare at you. But, 
by doing that, you're getting yourself out there. You're putting, giving yourself more opportunities and, you know, you want to make a change. Well, you can't do it from the shadows. You have to come out and you have to let people know that you even exist. And so, you know, that's, yeah, what, that's what you're doing. Well, I needed to do that to say to my children, you know, growing up, there were things that they wanted to do and I had to either say no or say, right, come on, I'll let's sit together. And yeah, all kinds of things. Um, from traveling around, around, around the world. One of our bucket list items actually is to visit every state in the USA. We've visited all the countries of Europe and now we're, we're into the USA. So we've ticked off 26 of the states. Okay, there you go. You're getting there. Um, yeah, so it had to stop a little for um, COVID, but God willing, next year we will we will resume again. Yeah, there's and that's like the states. There's a lot of very hidden. Like I went to a place recently where I was just looking at all these beautiful waterfalls, and like I didn't even know it existed. I've lived in this state for however long. It's 45 minutes away from me, or whatever it is, and you know, there's a lot of places that aren't considered, you know, obviously people talk about like all the monuments and things like that, that are, you know, our sites that you should see Grand Canyon and all, but it's like, there's so many other hidden ones that, you know, that are just beautiful. And it's nice to see, like, I'd like to do more traveling myself because I don't travel at all. So, um, quick question. I did want to ask you, what are you making to eat? I beg your pardon. Are you, are you making something to eat? No. Oh, it sounded like no. you were you were I, using a microwave. Oh, sorry. No, that is my wheelchair. Uh, because I work in in a construction sector of the uh, uh, the industry. Um, oh. Whenever I go onto site, when I'm reversing. Oh, okay. They go, <laughs> uh, that, that is a reversing mode on my wheelchair, so that people behind me know I'm going backwards. No, I thought you were making a microwave meal over there because it, it went off multiple times. Okay, I like it. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's what it is. It's a safety feature, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm just very random. Uh, before we kind of finish up or, uh, up here, is, is there any differences in, in how you take care of your son when it comes to before and after the wheelchair? Um. No, I, because both of them kind of happened in parallel. Um, no, it's funny. But, you know, my my son loves telling people that I use a wheelchair. He's really into um, motor cars. We live in a rural community as well, so he's big into farming and loves tractors and things. Um, oh, okay. And he's got this. He's got this idea that he could figure a way to put a nice oxide engine onto my wheelchair. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, he, he thinks we could we could go uh, super fast, but when he was much, he's, he's, he's 15 now, but when he was much younger, he used to love just sitting on my knee um, and I, you know, we would, we would go out uh, uh, walking or rolling, I suppose, and real sense when I use my, because I do have a manual wheelchair as well, and um, uh, so to him, because uh, you know, I've been using uh, 
the wheelchair from probably before he can remember it. It, but you know, it's just a part of me. He doesn't, he doesn't see the difference. Um, and obviously, he's there uh, uh, to help me. Um, but I, I, you know, the, the wheel, my wheelchair is something that I use to get about. It, it, it doesn't define me, and it hasn't, by and large, caused any barriers apart from sometimes when school are organising things, they forget that they need to think about my disability when they're inviting parents. Right. Um, but, you know, that's not particularly to know Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, no, I don't, I, I, I can't honestly say that there's been uh, any myth. Yeah, no, hey, whatever works for you, it's... That's awesome. Um, do you have anything to promote? Um, not not promote, really. Um, you know what we do here. Uh, we're currently in discussions with a group of disabled people in uh, Boston about the work we do here and bringing it to the USA. So uh, hopefully, uh, if that comes. You can invite me back, and I can tell you all about it. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, have you back a, on? You know, it's a it's a business for disabled people that helps disabled people out in the community. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what the Yeah, every every little thing helps, and you just hope at some point, like you know, all the things that everyone is doing, like you and I and, and others, like we all at some point meet in the middle, and we can come together and actually make the change that we all have been dreaming about absolutely absolutely well, my friend. well it's been good talking to you cga and i and i i appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to be part of your work and your podcast it's, it's great of course you're a good uh, acquisition yeah I, I love having you and of course we're gonna keep in touch and be friends outside this um you know Anything you need or you want someone to talk to, just please uh, get a hold of me. Um, yeah, like I said, that's just... I will. And next time I visit Pennsylvania, I shall let you know and uh, maybe we'll get to hook up and meet each other in real life. Yeah, we'll do it. I will figure it. Whatever you want, we'll, we'll do it. But either way, like I said, we're going to keep in touch. I'll let you know when this comes out and, you know, anything you need me to support you in, I'm sure you'll support the podcast. Like, we'll just, that's how we'll do it. Absolutely. All Thank right, you. All right, brother. Thank you again. Take care, TJ. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys. Let me hang up the call there. <clears throat> um, sorry for all the noises. Apparently, I got my air, my air conditioners put in the window, and birds, uh, I just, I guess they just think it's a, a platform they can just land on and just chill there. Uh, who knows? Maybe there's some eggs in the air conditioning now at this point. I, I don't know. Maybe they're just having wild sex on my air conditioner. I don't know what's going on. But the birds wanted to let everybody know that they're here too. Bullet is laying here on the... I was going to say he's laying here on the podcast. He's laying here on the couch next to me. He's all curled up in a ball. Very, very adorable. Um, But he's not making any noise. He's just, he's just chilling. Um... But yeah, sorry for all the outside noise, school buses and all that. Every time I go to talk, it's just like I have to unmute the mic 
and the stupid microphone picks up everything. So what are you going to do? Anyway, um, very great guy. He's a very sweet person. I, like I said, I just met him the other day. How did I meet? Oh, I, I reached out to him on a Facebook group. Or I, I put something out there of just looking for more guests. And he got back to me. And just a really good guy. And um, yeah, yeah, he's one of those people you just, you can't, I could never root against that guy. What a sweetheart. Um, yeah, so guys, again, thank you for all the support. Of course, I say the same things. I'm... Yeah, my until I'm just I'm just ugh, today. Um, I got a day off, so I'm just gonna try to enjoy that and be grateful for the things that you have. Um, hope you all are doing the same and uh, just hang in there. I know a lot of people around here are happy that the mass restrictions are going away. Um, yeah, just I don't know. Just be grateful for what you have, guys, and and just because you're now out of the mass and just because you like. Like, there's a lot of crazy shit going on here in the States. All these shootings, just... Maybe I'll talk about it on an Instagram Live or something, but just... Please. Please, just calm the bullshit down. Can we just be decent for... I don't know. A year? Something? I don't know. Um. Yeah. So, guys, just love each other. I know it's all cheesy, but it's not gonna happen, I know. But we can try, right? Love each other. Love what you got. And uh, I'm going to love up my little bullet guy here. My little bullet guy. You want to say anything? No. He's not even moving. Yeah, he's breathing. So he's good. He's just, he's in his zen mode. He's, um, I don't know if I said this on the podcast yet, but I have a theory that cats and dogs, they dream or when they when they sleep, they dream about being the owner. So essentially, like Bullet has me on the leash, and he's making me go in the litter box. So that's what I'm thinking. That's what he's doing right now. And I'm running around with toys in my mouth, and he's chasing me and yelling at me and mad. I you know knock some of my turds out of the box. So he's in his happy mode. He doesn't want to deal with me right now because he he's the he's the master. Oh boy. All right, guys, enough of my foolishness. I will see you guys on the next one. Bye, guys.